Have you been waiting for just the right job? Then welcome to the end of your search. Amazon has seasonal warehouse jobs in your area, and now is a great time to apply. You can start getting paid right away and work close to home. Applying is easy. You don't even need an interview. So what are you waiting for? Come join the team and get a great seasonal job offer today. Visit Amazon.com slash hiring. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer. Put industry leading, difference making, and tomorrow shaping on your to-do list. Explore Deloitte technology careers at Deloitte.com slash tech careers and engineer your future at Deloitte. You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up! Podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle. Powered by Overtime Media, we are coming to you from the Vivid Seat Studio, and I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, as always, my partner in crime. You know him. You love him. As the lead NFL writer for Heavy.com, he is Zach Kelberman. Zach, as we recorded the gut reaction immediately following Broncos Packers on Sunday, it was before we really had a chance to even hear what Vic Fangio had to say at the podium immediately following the game. There was an interesting exchange where you could see Fangio kind of losing some of his patience with the media. Mike Kliss, of course, Broncos insider slash mouthpiece, basically, you know, threw a question at him that was something to the effect of, hey, you're the first team in 50 years to go the first three games without a sack or a takeaway. You know, is this just a fluke or is there, you know, something rotting in the in the foundation here, basically? And Fangio goes, why, you got the solution? What were your thoughts on on him responding to Kliss in that way? I did not like that answer at all, Chad. I thought that was kind of a, a immature answer at the time. I mean, I know he was probably emotion based. I know he was probably angry and mad the Broncos lose another game, and he feels the pressure mounting. But as we talked about off air, it seems like a coach who's really out of his depth, and that answer kind of proved that. It was a Vance Joseph like answer where he has no ideas of his own. He's going to try to turn it around on the next person and not take accountability where the finger has to be pointing at him. I'm not going to crucify him based on one answer or three games or whatever i'm just saying that one response it doesn't add anything you know it doesn't help anything out and it's not going to help the pressure now that's going to be coming his way you know based on the broncos losing streak you know you would just here's the biggest thing that's bothered me about fangio the last three or four pressers he's had immediately so the, the first presser after the loss and then the next morning presser whether it be a monday or a Tuesday because they also played on Monday night. I don't like the way he is coming off as not really having the answers. Now, I don't expect him to necessarily let the media in on every intimate thought that he has, but when he's asked poignant, relevant questions from the media about the issues the team is having, like the one Cliss pointed out, like we, we can clown on Cliss and we do at times because he can be such a buffoon on Twitter. However, he asked a very relevant question to Vic Fangio. This, this is, you know, it's, it's an outlier, yes, because it's, ha- it's been so rare. It's the first time it's ever happened that a team's gone without a sack for the th- and, and the takeaway in the first three games. But Vic Fangio can try and stand up and explain it a little bit. Like, give us something other than, 
you know, we uh, just got to keep doing what we're doing. And, you know, uh, I think we're getting a pretty good rush. But, you know, no, dude, you're not. You're not <laughs> getting a good rush. And so flip the coin to Monday morning immediately or the day after the game, I should say. And Fangio is asked basically, you know, what uh, what do you do? And I want to read this quote here. And he said, quote, and, and this is something he's asked specifically, you know, he's been in the NFL 40 years now, right? Since the 80s anyway. And obviously, you can't be in the NFL that long without having gone through some adversity. And he's asked directly by Darren McKee, DMAC of 104.3 The Fan, hey, what kind of moments of adversity have you been in like this in the past where you've had to overcome them and you have? Here's Fangio, quote, there have been several. I can't think of one offhand. Anytime you've been in the league 30-something years, it's not all a bed of roses. You just fight through it. The easiest thing to do, and Zach, this is where I want to get your, your take here, is to just make wholesale changes, whether it be personnel, scheme, this, that, or the other thing. There's the old saying, keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. That's not very smart. But it's also a saying, too, change for change's sake isn't very smart either. We've got to operate that fine line as a staff and realize what we're doing are the mistakes we're making correctable, and then make a good and intelligent decision, close quote. Okay, that was nothing more than Maybe we do need to make a change to our approach on scheme. Maybe we need to make some personnel changes. I don't know. At this stage, though, we're not going to make change just for the sake of change. I'm pretty sure he got that first expression wrong, too. I think he misquoted that. Uh, Second of all, you know, it's all coach speak. That's all he's doing right there is, is verbal diarrhea and trying to skirt around the answer and not give a direct response to the question being asked. And that's only because he doesn't have the answer right now. And I kind of understand that. Rookie coach in his third game, a lot going on right now, a lot going against him right now. But to come out there and to kind of take that standoffish attitude, it's what we saw under Vance Joseph. And it's part of the reason that turned me against him so much. I'm sure a lot of other people, too. And for someone like Fangio, a guy in his 60s, he preaches that old school mentality, the no death by inches, you know, motto. But that's a very kind of... Uh, uh, unnecessary attitude to take. And that's something I think if he saw on someone else, he wouldn't like. So it's kind of take your own advice here and just give an answer. Be honest and upfront with the media. Don't take them adversarially. It's part of their job too, is to ask you what you're going to do because you look clueless out there and he gets up on the podium and he's clueless up there. So right now I, it's, it's definitely important, you know, trending downward for Vic Fangio. I just like to see him articulate a plan or at least recognizing where he's gone wrong. Basically the message to paraphrase everything he's said over the last two weeks is it's not been good enough. We recognize that, but we just got to stay true to what we've taught, stay true to what we've installed, stay true to our philosophies and the ship's going to turn around. Now, I don't know if that's if that's going to be good enough. We we can talk more about it. You know, this is the day after the game. The gut reaction is Zach and I, our opportunity along with all of you as well. To react off the cuff, right? It's instant reaction. We're, we're coming off the cuff. I've had a day to stew on things. I've had a day to watch more film on the game. I've had a day to look at some of the bright side, look at some of also the things that continue to pester this team. And we're going to dive into it here. But first, just a couple of quick matters of business, you guys. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter, as always, at HuddleUpPod. That's the best way for you to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the Huddle Up Podcast in real time. And don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a creative review and a five-star rating if you like what you hear. And doing so enters you into the drawing at the end of this month in which we will be giving away some Mile High Huddle slash Huddle Up Pod swag to a lucky reviewer or two. 
This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Getting that just right temperature or getting an energy efficient appliance. It's not only about making smart changes today. It's about creating brighter tomorrows with simple steps to save energy. Plus, you'll help protect the environment for years to come. A better world for you, your family, and your community. Get started with rebates and discover what energy-efficient choices can help you power what's next at AlliantEnergy.com rebates. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or a girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. All right, Zach. So here's, here's what I want to talk about first. Because right now fans are careening toward that cliff you know shades of vance joseph i mean at least vance joseph had the uh you know the audacity to start three and one right in 2017 last year the broncos get off to a two and oh start vic fangio you know he's zero three and this is a team that's zero three for the first time since 99 fangio is now and he already set the precedent in week two being the first denver broncos head coach ever to lose his first two games now he's the first to lose his first three games which ties into the second thing Zach, we are witnessing a team that, from the outside, the noise, the fan base, everyone is starting to panic. The misgivings have, you know, evolved into full-blown panic. What's your message to this this fan base one day removed from the Broncos losing that, that game in Green Bay? Well, I'm going to channel myself back to being a hardcore fan of a team. And I know the day after a loss, I am just as angry, if not more, than the, than the day of the game itself. Because I've had time to think about it and rewatch it and watch highlights. And I understand the frustration coming out of Broncos country. Some of it's misguided. Some of it's a little over the top. But I understand why it's there. This was not a team that's supposed to come out and go 0-3 and play the way they do, which looks no different, I'll say it for the millionth time, than last year. But they, you know, I'm seeing, I'm personally getting on Twitter and, and, you know, these messages, trade Von Miller, fire John Elway, fire Vic Fangio. I mean, you can't keep making those huge wholesale changes and want to have consistent winning and consistent success. They don't go hand in hand. You have to let this play out a little more, even though at this very stage right now through three games, it's not looking positive. But they have some things in place. Maybe not Joe Flacco, but I think Vic Fangio will, will come into his own a little bit. I think they have the, the talent in place, certainly. Just give it some time. I still want to preach that. Just give it some time. You have Drew Locke getting healthier. You have Noah Fan kind of contributing. You have a lot of young defensive talent. Let it come together. Uh, it might not happen with Joe Flacco. It might not happen this year. But I think going forward, they should be okay. I agree. And I think these next three games are, are very winnable. We'll go through those games here at the end of this show in the final segment. But let me tell you what, what my message to the fans is right now. First and foremost, it hasn't been a complete shiz show, okay, to, to <laughs> avoid cursing. 
It hasn't Barely. been a complete <laughs> embarrassment, unlike, for example, Zach, the eight-game losing streak under Vance Joseph, losing the final four games last year where it just got embarrassing. You know, Vance Joseph not only presided over that eight-game losing streak, but also in his second year, two different four-game losing streaks. So it hasn't quite, in my opinion. Now, this maybe this is recency bias coming out. I don't know for sure, but I don't think from what I've seen covering this team and watching this team as many years as I have, that they are as bad as their 0-3 record. There are some positive signs here. And I think that as this as this team is ironing out the kinks and going through this trial and error process of figuring out how to play in Fangio's scheme and figuring out how to play in Scangarello's scheme and with a new quarterback and all these new faces on the offensive line, you know, there's 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 the buffering period like we talk about. However, here's what you gotta focus on. Zach, these young players on this team are balling out. Look at Philip Lindsay, who became what was it yet on uh, on Sunday trying to remember the statistic in fact i'll pull it up here but he scored two touchdowns which were his 10th and 11th rushing touchdowns respectively of his career and in so doing he became the fourth fastest bronco to reach double digit rushing touchdowns to begin his career he did it in 18 games to get to double digits so he tied terrell davis you know uh, fittingly enough sporting that jersey so philip Lindsay balling now look at dalton reisner i mean we talked about on the gut reaction that play on the goal line where he basically picked up Philip Lindsay like uh, a midget toss, tossing him over the goal line <laughs> to get the score on a fourth and goal. Dalton Reisner, I mean, that's that was just one play. If you watch, the, I went back and watched it, spent a lot of time walk, uh, focusing on the offensive line. He is, his intensity, his enthusiasm, his physicality, it is infectious, and it not only trickles down through the entire offensive line, but to the entire offense. He's running down the field. He's cleaning up piles. He's He's just... Phenomenal. So then you got Cortland Sutton, who, again, had a really strong game. You'd like to see Emmanuel Sanders get more targets than he did in in week three, but at least Cortland Sutton balling out. Noah Fant, aside from that fumble, he has shown strong signs. Now, to me, Zach, the biggest issue here, and even before I, I completely crucify the defense, this Broncos defense, after allowing the Oakland Raiders to march up and down the field, you know, carte blanche basically in week one, in the last two games, Zach, the Denver Broncos have allowed a grand total of five third-down conversions out of 20 attempts from their two opponents. Five total. So that's something you can hang your hat on. And people say, well, you know, if you if you could get the offense scoring and get a lead, then the, the pass rush could do its thing. Which, which comes first? Is it the chicken or the egg? Zach, I honestly believe that, you know, the giveaways are what killed the Broncos in Week 3. But I think the biggest culprit, and this falls at Fangio's feet, for this team being 0-3 to open this this season isn't necessarily the offense. I think it's really the defense not not playing at a level that Fangio, that Elway expected in order for the model they've established on offense to translate into wins. So if Fangio can make these adjustments, and that's what's so discouraging about the way he's talking at the podium is we're not hearing any solutions. He's not articulating any solutions. He's not articulating any ways he could reapproach this thing. For example, just a couple of quick things like we touched on in the gut reaction, Zach, you know, dial up a few pressure packages on third down, you know, don't just rush three every single time in those key situations, allow your corners, even if they're playing in a zone coverage, allow them to press the receivers off the line and delay and, and throw the timing off of those routes. Those are two small little tweaks and you can pepper them in as you will, but just a couple of tweaks to throw the, cause right now, Zach, these opponents, they have a model. It's on tape. 
Vic Fangio right now, with the personnel and the way he's calling these, these games, he's been exposed. And until and unless he adjusts meaningfully, not just a little bit, not just one or two times, he's got to really come out and show a completely different hand or else it's just going to be this over and over again. And that's what we need to see. Yeah, you were saying that about the defense, and I was going to say that coaching, too, is a big letdown. The offense, too, and the play calling there. But I think the the big thing was Fangio, whether he wanted to admit it or not, he wanted to lean on this defense. He wanted to make it like a Bears team, a strong ground-and-pound kind of you know offense and a very, very stifling defense with two good pass rushers. It hasn't come to fruition, but the entire operation— and I guess you could even say from the front office standpoint, from some of the decisions with Flacco's contract, maybe even acquiring Flacco to begin with, but the play calling, the inconsistency, Scangarello being a little uh, green to this. I mean, the failure to convert in the red zone, the turnovers, it's a whole collective failure. So I think you can point the finger at Fangio, you can point the finger at the defense, but this is not a team where one side of the ball is overwhelmingly better. This is a team where all sides of the ball, including the coaching, is truly below average right now, and I think that's being kind. I can't, I can't disagree on the surface with you, but let me ask you this. Nine times out of ten, if I were to tell you, and don't, don't look at the Packers name, this is just numbers across the board objectively. If a team on the road rushed for 149 yards, do you think that's good in terms of their prospects for winning on the road? Absolutely, yeah. Team goes, you have to – Sorry. Yeah. Team goes two for three in the red zone on the road. Do you think that implies good things for their chances? Mm-mm. The Denver Broncos improved their red zone – margin no team is ever going to bat a thousand in the red zone it's just not going to happen even though when the broncos played the baltimore ravens in week three last season up until that point i think when the game opened the ravens were a perfect 12 for 12 in the red zone up to that point with joe flacco believe it or not and they finished that week a perfect uh i can't remember how many touchdowns they scored in that game but they're batting a thousand stood through three games and then eventually it began to wilt i think zach this is where I'll disagree with you, is I think if you go on the road and you and you rush for 150 yards and you're two for three in the red zone, that's a model, that's a winning model if you're being complimented by your defense and you're not giving the ball away three times. So that's how I see when Fangio says, look, you know, if we, if we make a couple of tweaks here and there, fix things, you know, fix the mistakes we're making or are the mistakes we're making fixable, I guess is the question he posed. If you can fix those things, this is a team that can win these these close games. But at the same time, Zach, it's been such a downer for the last three years. I have to wonder, and even Flacco talked about this, has this team completely forgotten how to win? I will, if you're looking at the Green Bay game in a vacuum, I tend to agree with you that they showed me a lot of promise on offense. They got the both running backs going. Uh, they were a little more consistent, a little more productive. I still would like to see a little more explosion. And this is where I, I stem it from the play calling and the coaching with Scangarello. I like to see a little more attacking vertical offense. But I certainly agree with you. You put up those rushing t- statistics and you do that well in the red zone, you should win on the road, even against a Hall of Fame quarterback. I would agree that the defense was the problem yesterday. Von Miller, Brown whatever but on the season as a whole I mean you can't look at one side of the ball that's just my opinion it's been coaching offense defense special teams but I think if there's any positive to take away from yesterday's game it's that the offense showed glimpses even Noah Fant you know caught some passes he had that fumble Garrett Bowles didn't have a holding penalty there were positive glimpses you can take out of that game so if you're looking at it in a vacuum you know they should be okay going forward I mean, guys, the Broncos were 8 of 15 on third down on the road in Green Bay against a really good defense you know, they possessed the ball 35 minutes, 35 and a half minutes to Green Bay's 24 and a half. 
I mean, in the red zone, they improved their numbers. They weren't perfect, but they improved over their 0 for in the opener and then 1 for 3 in the in week 2 to 2 for 3 in week 3. Total net yards, they basically paced the Packers. Packers had 312, Broncos had 310. Rushing yards, they doubled what the Packers were able to produce. And let's see on first downs. We know that those 27 first downs the week before were the the best the Broncos had produced since 2014 under Peyton Manning. First downs, the Broncos total had 20 on the road. That is great, dude. But the crucial mistakes are happening. And that's why, you know, when I say crucial mistakes, I'm talking about the turnovers. And another thing that's not helping, I got into a little mini debate, good-natured mini debate, with Lance Sanderson, of course, of Mile High Huddle, Dove Valley Deep Divers on Twitter on Monday. Zach, I want to get your thoughts on this. There were multiple – I think Flacco was sacked, what, six times? Was it six or seven? I think six times. Yeah. Half of those, uh, at least, he had three seconds or more to throw before he was sacked. One of them, Zach, he had 4.9 seconds to throw before he was hit and sacked. What that tells me is, and this is what I, through three games, look, this offensive line hasn't been perfect. Garrett Bowles in week two was a penalty machine. But this offensive line, I believe, is playing well enough in the run game and even in pass protection to get the job done. Zach, Joe Flacco has shown a a Helen Keller type uh, lack of awareness in the pocket, holding on to the ball, burping the baby, not getting rid of it. He's the easiest quarterback in the NFL to sack. And that's what he was coming in. That's always what he was in Baltimore. He's a 34-year-old statue, and they can talk him up all he wants, and you can have all the offseason fluff pieces, but that's who he is. And you can't always put it on the Broncos' offensive line. Sometimes he stands back there, reminiscent of Case Keenum last year, reminiscent of Paxton Lynch. Uh, is it the scheme? Is it the players? Is it the receivers not getting open? You can't put all the blame on one side, though. I mean, on one player, on one position. It, it's really been a collective just calamity through three weeks on offense. I mean, offensively, you take away the turnovers. Joe Flacco finds a way to get rid of the ball quicker like his opponents are doing in order to exploit their opposition. And the Denver Broncos find a way to be to be able to wreak a little bit more havoc in terms of pressuring the quarterback because until and if you can pressure the quarterback, the turnovers aren't going to come. So if I'm Vic Fangio on that side of the of the ball, I'm going, all right, no, no sacks, no turnovers, three games, we're 0-3. The, in terms of turnovers and sacks, we know what comes first as far as chicken and egg. The, it comes, it's the sacks first. If the sacks and the pressure come, the turnovers will follow. So what do I have to do? Even if to get this ball rolling and to loosen things up and get my guys, I got to manufacture some pressure. And that means changing up my philosophy a little bit. Doesn't mean, as he said, you need to make wholesale changes on that side of the ball. But throwing a few pressure packages in on third down, blitzing a little bit. I mean, with Todd Davis back in the fold, Zach, that excuse of, look, we're allowing him second and three and third and ones. We can't pin our ears back. That's gone. They, They stuffed the run. I mean, the Packers were two for nine on third down. They did their job on third down. They just couldn't pressure Aaron Rodgers. So that's what I'm saying. If they can, on defense, Zach, figure out a way, make those slight adjustments, swallow some pride in terms of, you know, my my perfect vision defensively didn't work out, but now I got him. I mean, you should be – you should take pride in saying, look, when things don't go well, Zach, I can adjust on the fly and, and still garner results. But if he, can, if he can figure out a way to get the pressure – the turnovers will come. And think about how that can help this offense. This offense has only started one drive this year on their opponent's side of the field, and it was due to that Deontay Spencer returning Green Bay. 
I, I think once they truly do, and I fully agree with you, but once they do get these turnovers going, it's going to snowball into more and more. And once it clicks on for the first time, it's not going to go off again. It's just a matter of getting to that point. It's a matter of rubbing those sticks together until you get that fire. One thing Fangio has to do, has to, has to, has to, is blitz more. He has to send more than three or four guys on passing situations. He has to get after the quarterback. Can't lean on the excuses of injury so much, but Todd Davis back, as you said, when he gets Bryce Callahan back, he really can't say anything because that secondary is fully um, you know, coming together. Even still, they have enough talent and definitely at linebacker to get more pressure and get more turnovers. It all starts with pressure. That's production. Then production turns into turnovers. But you also have to look at Von Miller, a future Hall of Famer, and Bradley Chubb, a former first-round pick, and ask those guys, have a man talk with them, and urge them and plead with them to beat your man and get to the quarterback. It's, it's, I don't firmly believe that it's 100% scheme. I think it's a lot of the problem right now for the Broncos. It's a lot of why Miller and Chubb are struggling. I don't happen to believe it's the entirety of it. They have to win their one-on-ones, and I believe that they just send some more pressure and send more people than the offense can block. Miller or Chubb will get there. Yeah, just shake things up a little bit, you know? I agree with you, and we talked about this on the gut reaction, and I think one day removed, our thought process on this as we've collected our thoughts are just as clear Von Miller needs to show some more dog. He needs to play with a lot more urgency than we've seen. He's been good against the run. He's done his job setting the edge. He's been a, a monster in that department. But on when it comes to rushing the passer, he's we're not seeing that intensity and, and that urgency that you've seen from Von Miller in years past. And that is, Zach, something he can control. And the same holds true for Bradley Chubb. Been phenomenal against the run. But when it comes to rushing the passer, we're not quite seeing that intensity and that want to that leads to out out wanting the opponent because that's what's happening is there were the 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 tackle and the quarterback are wanting the success of that play more than Bradley Chubb and Von Miller you can see it in in the intensity with which they play and the overall execution so you know that's one thing that goes hand in hand but but Vic Fangio he can help them if he shakes things up and throws in a few pressure uh, packages doesn't have to be every third down you know, throw the quarterback off a little bit and show him some pressure up front, you know, in the first quarter, the first couple third downs. Send the house at him and make sure your cover guys know it's coming and get ready for anything. Throw the house at him. And from the rest of that game, they're going to be like, whoa, dude, what's what's going on? They're, they're going to be on their heels a little bit. And you can start playing that m- mental mind game a little bit. But until Fangio shows a willingness to adjust and step outside of his core philosophy with the current personnel as is, it's just going to be more of the same, but it doesn't have to be that way. No, and, and to your point about the other team and the other players wanting it more, I think that's a team-wide issue for the Broncos. None of these players, except for maybe Philip Lindsay, Dalton Reisner, uh, you know, maybe Cortland Sutton, none of these players have that fire on the field. None of these players have that intensity. It seems like they're, especially Flacco, it seems like they're just going through the motions out there. And I'm starting to wonder, are they tired? Are they physically exhausted from that long, brutal training camp where Fangio had them out there in, in pads almost every day, five preseason games, or are they just worn down already three weeks into September. I don't know, but it just seems like they're on the field, they play the game, and they go home. There's none of that fire. The, the first time I saw it was Philip Lindsay's touchdown. So show some intensity. Show some passion. Don't just go through the motions. And it, the fact they don't have that, that stems from coaching. We, if we killed Vance for it last year, we have to point the finger at Fangio, too, for the same offense. All right, we still have a few other topics we want to we touch on, including what the next three weeks – Uh, have in store for your team. But first, a quick break. We'll be right back. 
This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Not long ago, everyone knew that you're either born a boy or girl. Not anymore. The Biden administration is pushing radical gender experiments on children, changing their names, clothes, identities, and bodies. Joe Biden and his left-wing allies pushed boys to take estrogen to appear more feminine. They pushed girls to take testosterone so they grow facial hair. Biden and progressive leaders promote puberty blockers to keep kids from developing to normal men and women. These drugs can leave you sterile, infertile, impotent. Joe Biden and the new left even promote surgery on teens and young adults, removing breasts and genitals. They want boys in our daughters' bathrooms and sports teams. And now, the Biden administration is planning to issue new rules that would force doctors to prescribe dangerous drugs and worse. Tell Joe Biden and left-wing leaders across America, hands off our kids. Paid for by America First Legal. All right, Zach, I want to get to one thing while we're still on the topic of Fangio, then we're going to get to the next three weeks. Do a quick update on the injury status of Derek Wolf and Josie Jewell. Vic Fangio, and this is something we've been concerned about, at what point has it already happened? Has he already lost the locker room? You, you talked about it right before we went to break there this team as a team, not just individuals, but as a team, not playing with intensity, not playing with that want to, that expectation of winning, eyes cast down, you know, they're you know what in the dirt. Has he, is he cognizant of how losing like this three consecutive games to open a season can twist, can fray a locker room? Here's what he said, quote, that's the landscape of the NFL. You guys, pointing to the media, help perpetuate that too. For us to just have our head in the sand and to know that may not happen would be bad on our part. So we have to talk about it, but I think we have the right kind of guys in here. And I think after we talk about it, everybody will move forward with the right frame of mind. Close quote. Zach, I tend to agree with Fangio that I think they have the right guys. To me right now, it's a, it's, and that's why we're not seeing your Chris Harris Jr.'s and your Manuel Sanders and your Von Miller's stand up and do like you see in New York and Miami where they ask for a trade because the things aren't going well at home. I don't. I think that's one of the same character uh, attributes that this team has is that, 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 that want to, that professionalism is there, but it's the onus, I think, Zach, is on the coaches to somehow extract it, rally these guys, galvanize these guys, and translate it to their on-field production. Yeah, I agree with Fangio that they, and I've said it, that they have the players, they have the horses, but I really don't like that answer either, turning around on the media and blaming them for writing negative stories about them. They're writing negative stories because they're losing. It's their job. It's our jobs to cover the team objectively. What do he wants people to write about positive things going on right now, 0-3? Again, I don't like that answer. It's something Vance would say. It just gives me PTSD back to the last couple seasons, and it just it's unwarranted. It's uncalled for. Get up there and address your topics like a man. You, you preach all this accountability. Take some. It's not the media's fault the Broncos are 0-3. It's your job. You get paid the big bucks, just like Cliss said, to make those changes. We got to see them on the field. I do agree they have the players to get it done, 
And it comes right back in at Fangio's lap then. He's making the point everyone else is making. We have the players. Where is the production? You know what I think he's doing here? Because we saw it in his confrontation with Kliss. We've seen it with a few other ways in which he's answered, including that one there. I think he's using the media and the noise. We saw it with the Garrett Bowles comment also that he did play better in week three despite you guys wanting him to fail, basically accusing the media. I think what we're seeing is that's one of the you know, one of the cornerstones that Fangio's kind of hanging the emotional component of trying to turn the ship around is he's telling his players, look, the noise out there, you know, this media, they want you to fail. This fan base no longer believes in you. They don't believe in you. We got to prove these suckers wrong. Everyone's out. Everyone's against us. No one believes in us. And he's going to try and use that, I think. And maybe this is something he's playing some 4D chess on. Maybe not. Maybe I'm overthinking that. But I think because we've seen it come out in the wash now on a couple of different, you know, uh, opportunities at the podium i think that's something he's trying to use to help galvanize his team i just don't think you have to tell a team that hasn't been to the playoffs in a half decade almost that they're against you they know that they've been around most of these players the last couple years and the vance joseph era the losing ways they know what people have been writing they know the adam ranks of the world with the two and 14 predictions it's been out there that disrespect angle only works so far. You still have to win some ball games. If you don't win, then it makes you look worse because you can't even rally to that message anymore. The Broncos, for as long as I can remember recently, they've been thriving on that disrespect angle, that bulletin board material. But even now, that's not really working. I mean, we've been hearing it all offseason. The, the, one of the worst coaching staffs, one of the worst offenses, one of this and that, worst records this year, worst you know, high draft pick. But that didn't really inspire them too much the first couple weeks. So who's to say it's going to change? I just don't like turning it around and getting up there not having any sort of idea. It would have been more respectable and less obvious. It doesn't know what he's doing. If he just would have been up there and said, I don't know right now, we're working on it. But to twist it and say, you guys are writing these stories, yeah, that's going to happen. And he has to know that. Yeah. He's just not articulating a message that is very encouraging to the media, which then makes it that less encouraging to fans because then the media has to try and translate. We have to try and say, look, Here's what he's trying to say. Here's what it all means. Because Fangio stands up at the podium, says X, Y, and Z. Media's job is to decipher that and then translate to the to the fans. Here's what it means. And look, dude, what he's saying right now is not encouraging. The way he's his lack of being able to articulate anything that is confidence-inducing, encouraging. That's just where that's where it's at. And until they can find a way to turn the ship around on the field, he's going to continue to get these type of questions. It's going to feel like a miasmic cloud following the Broncos everywhere they go. So Fangio, as Cliss said, you signed up for this, dude. You thought you were ready for the job. Mr. Death by inches. You guys have been losing death by yards, not inches. Got to find a way to stick your foot in the ground, turn the ship around. And I think if you make a couple of tweaks, a couple of adjustments – you can get the job done because this team does has shown some some really positive signs, especially over the last two weeks. That first week was pretty bad against the Raiders, but these last two games, man, they have shown they have played with the type of intensity at certain points. They haven't sustained it. That is a winnable model. It's a winning model, but they've got to cut out the mistakes. Now, Zach, will they cut out the mistakes? We'll see what lies ahead in the near future. We're going to grab that here in just a second. First, a quick update. Derek Wolf has a high ankle sprain. Sounds like it's going to cost him a couple of games. He hopes it's only one game. But in the meantime, you're going to see, just like in Green Bay, he went down on his 11th snap of the game. So we saw a lot of Draymond Jones. We saw a lot of Demarcus Walker. 
and the onus in terms of stopping the run is really going to fall more on Adam Gotsis and uh, Shelby Harris. But what are your what are your thoughts on what the Broncos? how they're going to be able to manage not having Derek Wolf on first and second down with Draymond Jones, with Demarcus Walker. I think it's time they activate Mike Purcell. I mean, he made the 53 as a run stuffer, and they've been a healthy scratch the last couple weeks. So activate him, throw him out there. Uh, Jacksonville doesn't scare me on offense. They have a decent running game. They have a, a green quarterback. If you can plug their run, I think you can you can beat them. And at home, it should be an easy game for Denver, or relatively speaking anyway. The Wolf injury, I think, hurts more in the locker room and hurts more of a chemistry thing with the defensive line. He's been a, a decent player, but just way too injury-prone, can't stay on the field. I thought it was a worse injury at first. I thought it was a break or some sort of tear Mm -hmm. so I guess it's relatively good news that it was an ankle sprain but of the high variety these things have a tendency to linger they could be aggravated so it might not be you know a little bit before we see Wolf back in the lineup then just when you get Todd Davis back Josie Jewell about halfway through the game goes down with a hamstring and Corey Nelson you want to talk about a shiz show gets thrown back (laughs) out onto the field Josie Jewell though it's a hammy it sounds like he's basically day-to-day He's probably going to be questionable this week, but the Broncos, they're already thin at linebacker. If you had Joe Jones healthy, and maybe he will get back this week, we don't know. Fangio sounded encouraged about Andy Janovich, so maybe there's reason to be encouraged also about Joe Jones. But Corey Nelson is a complete train wreck when he's on the field. I don't know why the Broncos have continued to show faith in him, especially after those first two games. They didn't even dress Alexander Johnson against the Packers. What are your thoughts on if Josie Jewell misses some time, how the Broncos adjust there? I don't know what it is, though, with uh, inside linebackers and injuries this this season, this offseason. It's just there seemed like they cursed there. Uh, and another lower body injury, Chad, for yeah. another Broncos player. So you have to look at that, too. Yeah, it's going to be in another kind of plugging holes with gum and sticks and all that just to get by until Jewell is back. Hopefully it's not too serious. Thankfully, Davis is healthy now, so maybe that should help out the run game. But they haven't been overly... Uh, impressive inside linebackers against the pass anyway. So I feel like Jules' absence, it would hurt them more in the run game. But since you have Todd Davis there, you can get by with, with Nelson if you dress Johnson with the linebackers they have. Uh, you know, Justin Hollins maybe can play more ILB. It's just not ideal going forward. Yeah, we saw Hollins out on the field several times. He got some snaps against the Packers, and it was trial by fire. But but yeah, I'm I'm hoping Joe Jones can go this week. But one thing Fangio made clear on Monday when it comes to injured players he errs on the side of caution. He doesn't want him out there until he and they are 100% confident they're good to go. That's why it's felt like the team has dragged its heels on Bryce Callahan, why it felt like they dragged its heels on Todd Davis. That's coming from the head coach. If there's any question, he wants him to sit. And I don't know if that's good. I don't know if that's bad. It's football. Sometimes you got to play when you're not 100%, so maybe it's bad. But let's, let's turn the page and look ahead just a little bit here. As you talked about, you got Jacksonville coming in to Mile High on Sunday, week four, with Gardner Minshew, the rookie who's been playing well. He's got the Jacksonville Jaguars at one and two heading into week four, but he is a rookie. The next week, Zach, the Broncos go on the road to take on the L.A. Chargers, where they won last year. Of course, that was the first game in that three-game turnaround coming out of the bye that gave all the fans hope that this was a team that could put it together down the stretch and compete for the playoffs. That that first win, and it was on the road in L.A., it was just a, a shot in the arm that that team needed. Chargers, week five. Week six, Tennessee comes to Denver. And over the years, that's kind of been a toss-up game. The Broncos, in, in, at least post-Super Bowl 50, it's been a toss-up game when they've had to play the Tennessee Titans. So 
How do you see, or actually, let me put it to you this way. Do you view these, I mean, we, we know how the first three shook out. One defense that didn't have all the talent in the world but played like they did, inspired football anyway, the Oakland Raiders in week one, followed by a great Bears defense, followed by a great Packers defense. Jaguars D is really good too. Chargers D is really good. Titans D is really good. But offensively, do you see enough firepower in these three uh, for coming opponents here, these next three, where these could be some winnable games for the Broncos, or do you think it's just a toss-up for these this next little window? The only toss-up I really see is the Chargers game. I firmly believe Denver will go 2-1 and one over these next three games. I'm not scared of Jacksonville coming into Denver, and this could be the game. And if I'm right, they should be able to beat the Chargers too. But this should be the game where the offense kind of gets going. Maybe we see three, four touchdowns, and we start to see the entire plan come together. So I happen to think the Jaguars are very beatable. They might even have Jalen Ramsey by the time the game plays, so that can be taken into consideration. That team is falling apart at the seams there. Uh, the Chargers, that's going to be kind of a shootout. I think Phillip Rivers is still a very good quarterback. That offense is still very good without um, uh, Gordon as you know in the backfield. Keenan Allen, a receiver, but they can compete with them. They can make it either a defensive game or they can you know get into a shootout if the offense clicks against the Jaguars. I am not at all scared of Tennessee. I am not a Mariota fan. I don't think he's a great quarterback. That's a beatable team too. So if they just play cleaner football, don't shoot themselves in the foot and just score points. They can go 2-1 and one or maybe even 3-0 and oh next three weeks. But think about this, you guys. And I'm not here to make any bold predictions. I do view these following three games as very winnable, including the road game in L.A. If the Broncos can win these following three games, they get back to 3-3. Three and three. Heading into week seven, they're at 500 to take on the Kansas City Chiefs. So, Brand new season. Exactly. Suddenly, you got new life. And that's why it's it's important to... Not get out over your skis with the negativity. You know, it feels like everything is snowballing and the whole world is mounting on the Denver Broncos here. But they still have, especially these next three games, it's a nice little, I don't want to call it a respite because this is the NFL. You cannot sleep. You cannot take anyone lightly. You cannot take an opponent for granted. But these are three opponents that I think, you know, obviously the Chargers are the big question there. But Broncos won in L.A. last year, and I think they can do it again. You come out of this three-game stretch at 500, that's a great way to put it, Zach. It's a brand-new season. Yep, it is. And at 3-3, three and three, you're right back in it. And if you want to compete for the playoffs, then you know that's such great momentum to have going into October and the, the real meat of the schedule. They just have to start with one game at a time, though. one opponent at a time. Fortunately, they get kind of a an easier opponent at home in Jacksonville. It's a very, very winnable game. I mean, if they don't beat them, I don't know for the rest of the season. But I do think they will. Uh, the Chargers, like you said, it's a toss-up. If they make that a defensive game or the offense gets going, they can beat them. Tennessee, very beatable. So, yeah, going into the Chiefs game, they could be 3-3. Three and three. That's a very distinct possibility. I just want to point out that what I'm saying about the Broncos is how I feel through the first three games. It's not indicative of how I feel going forward. I'm just judging them based on three weeks of play. I happen to think, though, as we're talking about, over the next couple weeks, you'll start to see the pieces fall into place. The recipe will start to cook and will come together. The offense will get going. You'll get some turnovers, some sacks. I don't know if that's going to translate necessarily to wins, but they'll play better, I think, starting against the Jaguars. These first six games, man, they're going to have they're going to have a, a big effect on the way this this season ultimately turns out. And that number six is interesting because that's the number of NFL teams since 2007 who have made the playoffs after starting 0 and 3. So we'll see. I mean, these six games, these these the first six games and these next three games, 
really, this is the only window the Broncos have to, to begin to turn this around. And, you know, you're, you got lucky that you don't have to face Nick Foles in week four. If you're Vic Fangio, if you're Vaughn Miller, if you're Bradley Chubb, you're licking your chops because Gardner Minshew, as efficient as he's played, he's protected the ball, his completion percentage is through the roof, he's still a rookie. Then you got Phillip Rivers. It's always a, a toss-up whether you're going to win. It's at least post-Super Bowl 50, whether or not you're going to beat the Chargers. But you got to take some encouragement knowing that the Vance Joseph version of this team beat them last year in their own house. Followed by the Tennessee Titans with the Marcus Mariota at quarterback. And even if it ends up being Ryan Tannehill, I mean, he's he's not someone that you lose any sleep over. So no. this is the window. And then it gets tougher. Then you got Kansas City at home. Then you've got the Colts. Uh, let's see, is the Colts on the road? Colts in Indy. Then you got the Browns. So that next three-game stretch, you need to get to 500 before that Chiefs game in order to build up the cachet, in order to build up the momentum and that self-belief so that these next three opponents, which are all playoff-quality opponents, can be a battle. Yeah, and if they get to 3-3, three and three, I mean, they're going to have so much momentum behind them. They're going to be, be playing loose, be playing with confidence, that they're going to be a tough team to beat. But – you know, in essence, this coming game against the Jaguars, it's a playoff game. You can probably mathematically eliminate Denver if they lose this game. 0-4, making the playoffs, I don't think it's ever happened. Fact check me there. If it did, it's very, very rare. But if they lose this game, they're not making the playoffs. So if they still hang on to that win-now mentality, they have to beat the Jaguars. They can do that. They can certainly take the Chargers down to the wire. If they can beat them, they have the Titans and, and so on and so forth. If they can just get some momentum behind them, you can start to see this team play a lot better. John Elway wanted a veteran coach. He wanted competency back in the building at Dove Valley. A coach who'd been down the road, seen every situation, knew how to manage a roster, knew how to coach a roster, knew how to manage grown-ass men. Is Vic, was Vic Fangio the right decision? These next three games, I think, are going to answer that question. And it won't necessarily be a overarching indictment if the Broncos end up losing more than they win in these next three games. But this is where Vic Fangio can prove to his boss that he made the right decision instead of going with Mike Munchak, which is the direction it was going before Vic Fangio was hired. So let's end this on a positive note. These three games, anything's possible. They're relatively favorable opponents. If the Broncos are looking to make a turnaround, now's the time. And then the entire rest of this season can unfold in a variety of different ways, many of them good. But it has to start this week against the Jacksonville Jaguars. But you guys, that's going to do it for today. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. You can find my partner here, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at KelbermanNFL, myself, at Chad N. Jensen. Stay tuned because on Wednesday, you'll have a fresh episode of Building the Broncos. And then Zach and I will return on Thursday to go behind enemy lines with John Shipley, who covers the Jacksonville Jaguars for the Maven and Sports Illustrated. We look forward to that conversation. Until then, for Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. Keep your chin up. You've been listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.